0: Guys down. Thanks for look at that. He's very vital. We're thankful for his service. You want to volunteer? He can train you. Open up your Bible if you would to Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, Normally, each week at Sojourn, we, we open up the Bible and we go through books of the Bible. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at why we exist as a church and what we prioritize. And today we're looking at our, still continuing on, our first priority is the Bible. Last week we learned that this is the inspired and authoritative word over our lives and over our church. This is our book. It's to inform and instruct everything that we do. One uh, college president said this. He said that rapid, unexpected, and often disruptive change... Which is most often, most of it is driven by the accelerating advance of technology, is a constant fact of the modern life. Add that with the the truth that that the prophet Jeremiah said, but that's also true today, that falsehood and not truth grow strong in the land. Prophet Isaiah said that the truth stumbles in the public places. So we have this ever changing world. And this falsehood that is growing strong in the land, and we're left with with what are we going to do with this? And many churches have tried to keep up with the constant change and with the, the decrease of love and desire for the truth, only to have accommodated the very message of Christ, to accommodate the message of the Scripture. And so we're still left with this thought what are we to do? In this ever changing world where falsehood is strong. Well, at Sojourn, we don't want to leave you in doubts. That we turn to an old book. That is really not our book. It is really first God's book before it's our book. But it's authoritative, it's written out, breathed out by Him, and to instruct and inform all of us. See, the Bible is central to our lives as believers and as a church, it's, it's our book. And so we turn to it time and time again to, to think about the ever-changing world, to think about the fact that the falsehood grows strong in the land. We approach these things not by accommodating any sort of message, but by turning to a very old message that is still very relevant and applicable and indeed working even today. And so as we look to Isaiah chapter 55, we can see that the Word of God is completely dependable in an age that is ever-changing, constant, and not dependable for anything. This word is dependable and it's able to bring transformation for the fame of God's name. So as we look at Isaiah 55, let's give you a little bit of context before jumping into a prophet. The context is most of the chapters of Isaiah, a large chunk of them if you journey through this book with us, are about judgment. God's is going to bring judgment upon many nations, including the Israelites, because of their sin. He says that He is going to bring that judgment on them. It's going to come in the form of exile. They're going to be taken out of their land, their their land, their home, their temple. All those things are going to be destroyed. They're going to be taken out to another country, ruled by another king. But He gives such hope and such comfort. Starting kind of chapter forty on, He talks about the deliverance and comfort that He's going to bring, and it's going to come. In many different ways, but primarily through a servant who is willing to suffer and die that people might be delivered. So what we see in Isaiah is, is that as he talks about these words, as he as he sends out this word to the people of God, that this word is actually an invitation to them. And the word of God is always an invitation. If you think about this, that, that God... He created, and He didn't just create and leave us to figure it out and put the pieces of the puzzle together to get to Him. No, He creates and He interprets His own creation. He interprets his people in this world, and He writes it down for us to follow, to see, to be informed by, but also invites us in to who He is and to life with Him. I like what one theologian says: that therefore God sends His Word to us in the character of both information and invitation. It comes to woo us as well as to instruct us. It not merely puts us in the picture of what God has done and is doing, but it also calls us into personal communion with the loving Lord Himself. The Word of God is information. We are to know something, but it's also an invitation. God doesn't just want us to know things about Him in our minds, in our heads. He wants us to know Him with our hearts and be involved with life with Him. This is why He has His Word. So the Word, in and of itself, is this invitation. But in this invitation of the Word, we also have these very clear issues of personal invitations to us. So we see one of these in Isaiah chapter 55. If you look at verse 1, it says, "...Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price." Why do you spend your money for what? For that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, here that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. And so he invites them, if you're broke, have no money, says, Come. Why, Why first? There's an invitation for you if you're broke and you have no money to buy. You can come. You don't need to thirst. Come freely. If you're rich, you, you have money and you're buying, and yet you're not satisfied. He says, he says come. Why I spend on things that won't satisfy? Come is the invitation. And he gives these, these pleading questions. Why? Why will you thirst? Why will you spend your money on the things that won't satisfy you? Come and freely receive. And in the context of Isaiah, what he's talking about is freely receiving what the servant has achieved on your behalf. So the servant comes and he wins his prize. He suffers and dies, but gives his inheritance and enjoins us, invites us into life with him and all that that offers. And so all of us, we we find ourselves in one of these two places as well. We, We are either the broke and the thirsty. Where we have been chewed up and spit out by life. Where we always seem like we meet closed doors. Where it's constant striving and no success. It's pain after turmoil after pain. Over and over again. Repeating the process. Chewed up and spit out. But there's still this longing. There's still this thirst. Or... You're kind of the other one in verse 2. Why do you spend your money for things that that don't satisfy? So maybe you do have money. Maybe you do have strength. Maybe you do have power. But over and over and over again, you, you keep spending these things, using these things, and you're not satisfied. There's this constant frustration. You keep going one step further, keep spending, keep laboring, but you still want more. It doesn't satisfy doesn't fix your, your problems. And the invitation is for both of us to come. You want to be satisfied? You want to have your thirst fulfilled? Then, then come. If you're poor, you know it's, it's unearned. You can't buy your way in, but you're invited in freely. If you're the powerful and the rich, still unearned, unpaid for. You couldn't achieve it on your own. constantly frustrated. The invitation is to come. It's undeserved. But the invitation is to buy freely. To buy. To delight. To be satisfied in all that God has offered. This is an invitation to believe and experience all the benefits of God at no cost. It's an invitation to life of God based on the work of the servant. So really there was a cost, but it wasn't to us. It was to the servant. It was at his cost. We know this servant from Isaiah 53 and 42 and other places in Isaiah to be Jesus Christ, the one who has finished the work of the servant, who lived the life that we could never live on our behalf, perfectly fulfilling the law, dying the death that sinners deserve to die, not that He deserved to die for His life, but that we deserve to die for our lives, and that He has won for us through His death and resurrection, life with God, free forgiveness forevermore. And He invites us into this. And so the Word goes out to us as well. And it's an amazing invitation to life with God. invites us into life personally with God. And this invitation that Isaiah is giving is an invitation to come as you are. If you're broke, if you're poor, if you're thirsty, if you're not satisfied, if you have money, all these things come in as you are, but not stay as you are. We're going to skip down to verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. This is a call from Isaiah. Yes, come and buy, but don't stay as you are. Repent of your ways. Turn from those things to God. Your way and your thoughts are off. So He gives us some reasons why we need to repent of our ways and our thoughts. There are many reasons, but he says primarily in verse 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways and my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts that are higher than your thoughts. The problem with wickedness, the problem with unrighteousness, isn't primarily its consequences. Although those are bad, and those can be deadly. The primary problem with wickedness and unrighteousness that he talks about in 8 and 9 is that they don't rightly image God. That they're not imaging the God who created them. That those who have unrighteous thoughts and wicked ways aren't following the way of their Lord, the one who made them and designed them to be like Him, to image Him, to perfectly reflect back to Him all of His character, all of His nature, all of His person. And so the wicked ways is different than God and His ways. It's perverted. It goes against the design that God has intended. And the unrighteous thoughts are, are different from God's thoughts. His His thoughts are high and above, and our thoughts are, are located here on the earth, not on what's above. And God created humanity, humans, all of them in His image to reflect back to Him all of His greatness... All of His character, all of His ways, all of His thoughts. And we have failed to do this. And so what the Word is doing here, it is confronting humanity in its unrighteousness and in its wickedness and calling for repentance and to image God. It's a call to the wicked, unrighteous, thirsty, and poor. All of them are included to repent. One pastor says that to repent means a reshaping of our mindset. It's a new way of looking at the world. Your your way of thinking is unrighteous. You need a new way of thinking. It means rethinking our way of, and our way of thinking and being and doing. It's a turning away from all those things to the one and true God, and imaging Him as perfectly as humanly possible. And see, what the Word does is it will inform us of our wrong way of thinking, confronts us in our long, long way of looking and being and doing, and invite us in that confrontation into life with God. And see, this is what the Bible does, is it consistently confronts us with our need to repent. The Bible is offensive to all in some way. And so in our culture... If you want to talk about sexual immorality, that might be something that would be very confrontational in our culture. Many people would bristle up against the things that we would say the Bible is pretty clear here that this is called sexual immorality, and another word for that is sin that is deserving of death. Now that offends our culture. We're not too offended by the message of forgiveness. Other cultures are. Other cultures, the, the, the idea of free forgiveness is a shame. And a crazy thought to them. And so the Bible, what it does, as God's inspired word, read that by God, is it confronts everybody, every culture, in some way or another. And if it's not confronting you, then I have questions for you. Like, are you reading it? And if you are, and it's not confronting you, then maybe let's get together and read it together, because it will confront us. Amen. But confrontation is also an invitation to repent of these things to the living God, turn to him. Confrontation is an invitation to have life with God and restored fellowship. This is what he says in verse 6. Call upon him. While he may be found, call upon him while he is near. At the end of verse 7 he says, Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, the Lord is not absent or distant from us. He is ready to have compassion. He stands ready to abundantly pardon. And we need abundant pardon. God is revealed in the scriptures. This God who is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Abundant in this steadfast love. He is this one who is so to forgive and he invites us to come repent turn from your wickedness turn from your unrighteousness and find this compassion and pardon in the one true living God see this is an invitation from the word of God to live life under God's reign and rule life with him have fellowship with him where he has abundantly pardoned us and we are in communion and fellowship with him And so the Word of God, as one of our priorities, is an invitation to us. It invites us to life with God. It invites us to turn from our wickedness and find abundant pardon. But it also is this Word that is completely dependable. You see, you might hear these things, that God is standing ready to abundantly pardon, that He is ready to have compassion. And you have to think that, how do we know we're going to get that? How do we know that that's going to come to us? How do we know that God can, can make that true for us? And Isaiah gives us a picture of the efficacy and dependability of the Word of God if you look in verse 10. It says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth sprout and giving, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sinned. So the word of God goes out from the mouth of God like rain and snow that fall to the ground. And for the original readers of this message, or the ones that would have heard this originally, rain would have been life and death. Rain meant food. It meant life. It meant security. It meant seed for the next year. It meant continued stability. And I think in Oklahoma... We have somewhat of a desert climate, like some of the original hearers, and sometimes of our, our year, we we get it right, and we've seen how crunchy and brown the grass can get when there is no rain, and how dry and arid it can be, and how much the wind can kick up all the dust when there's not something in the ground holding it down. We we get that that that's part of us as well, and so we understand. When we talked about the rain coming down and being life. We we understand that because we see the grass turn from brown and crunchy to, to green and amazing looking all just from some rain. So when the moisture falls from the sky, it goes to work on the earth, softening it, making it green. This is vital work. And the same goes with the Word of God. It goes and it does work. It's a vital work. It goes and it brings life. It goes out from the mouth of God And it does the work of God. We see this in creation. God says, He speaks, He uses words. His word goes out, let there be light, and it happens. The word of God does the work of God. God sends out His word, it does work. And it's always effective, it always hits its mark. Rain doesn't return empty, snow doesn't return empty, it waters the ground, it waters the earth. And the word goes out and doesn't return empty either. It works. Hebrews kind of says it this way in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut. And it does cut. Pierces to the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And this word is utterly dependable. It always accomplishes its work. It's completely trustworthy and effective to its cause. All that it promises, it's going to fulfill. All that it says it's going to do, it will get done. All that it says can be trusted. Have you ever gone to the store to get something and returned empty-handed? Two weeks ago, well, a week ago, July 4th, I'm I'm going to the store to get stuff for for the bash, the the homemade ice cream stuff. I go to the store, rock salt It's pretty important. You want the, the, the ice cream to freeze? I go to the store to get rock salt. I come home, no rock salt. This happens to me often. The very reason I went was to get things for ice cream, I return empty-handed. I go out and I return void. God's word doesn't ever do that. And when it goes out to do something, it always does it. It goes out on this rescue mission and it always gets the one who's trying to rescue. It always brings them back. And the reason it's so dependable, the reason it's so trustworthy, is because, as we learned last week, that it's God's Word. And every part of it is breathed out by God. It goes out from the mouth of God, and it doesn't return to Him empty. See, there's this really close tie between the Word of God and God Himself. And so if you have a low view of God, you're going to have a low view of His Word. Or if you have a low view of His Word, you're going to have a low view of God. They go together. And so if God is dependable then His Word is dependable. And if those don't go together, then one or the other is off. If He's dependable, His Word is also dependable. And so if we have a trustworthy, faithful God, we have a trustworthy, faithful Word from God. And don't we long for something dependable? We live in an age just of a complete lack of commitment. I'll throw myself in the ring there too sometimes. I do not want to commit myself to something sometimes. Where people's word isn't dependable. If you work in a business, you know this. Right? They, people don't show up. They call in. Like people are not dependable. We lack commitments. Kevin Durant says, I want to retire my jersey in Oklahoma City. Not a dependable word. He's out of here. Presidential candidates promise all sorts of things. Not a dependable word. Pretty soon it's going in a different direction. This is all around us. We want something dependable in the midst of this. And when God says something, we can depend upon it. When He says, I'm going to abundantly pardon, we know that He will abundantly pardon. If He says, I'm going to forgive, if He says, come and buy without money, without cost, we know that those things are dependable. If He says, you are invited into life with Me, life with God, under My reign and under My rule, we can depend upon that. And the Bible does that because it's the Word of God. Now here's where it runs into a snag because the Bible isn't for, dependable for everything. That's kind of what we hope, I think. Many want the Word to be dependable for, for everything, for their own ends. So I want to use the Bible to get my things. So many will, will work through an issue in their life, and then they'll want to use the Scripture to kind of help them along and be dependable for their ends. And as they go through this issue, trying to tag on the Word to these things, they get frustrated because the Word doesn't turn out to be exactly what they want it to be. And they come frustrated, and they say things like, well, I guess the word just isn't working here. Like, I've tried that whole Bible thing and it's not really working for me. The problem is not with the Scripture. The problem is we're not believing it rightly. We're not looking at it rightly. It's not some magic potion that's going to fix every little tiny problem of our life the way we want it to be fixed. See, the Bible is not dependable for our own agenda. It has an agenda of its own. In verse 11, it says this It shall not return empty. It shall accomplish the purpose which, which I purpose. Now, this is God. It shall succeed in the thing for which I, God, sent it. So it, it doesn't go out to accomplish our goals, it goes out to accomplish God's goals. It's for His purpose, the thing for which He sent it. Have you ever been frustrated at the Word of God? When we say it sojourn. We. we we welcome the poor, the needy, the broken, the sinful, all those things. We, we do not want you to be a pretender, though. Are we? Be anything, don't be a pretender. Have you ever been frustrated at the Word of God? Or know someone that has. Put it in that case, a random scenario that you haven't been frustrated at the Word of God. Maybe, perhaps, I, I thought of one. Jeremiah 29.11 seems to be a popular one. That you know the plans, God says, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, and people love that verse, and it's a good verse. So, love that verse all you want. But, you can see how someone would get frustrated with this if they're thinking that God's plan is to prosper me, and then all of a sudden I look at my life and there's not prosperity going on here. There's brokenness, there's pain, there's problems, and so what am I to think about this word that says it's to prosper me, and I don't see any sort of prosperity. And we get frustrated in that way, right? Right? And I think we should be very slow to be frustrated with the Word of God. When the Word doesn't do exactly what we want it to do. When it doesn't give us the experience that we want it to give us when we wake up for our quiet times. When it doesn't prosper us the way we want it to prosper us. When it it doesn't justify the actions that we want it to justify. When it doesn't make us feel the way we want it to make us feel. Because the Bible was never intended to deliver those things. The Bible's purpose was not to give us all we want. It was not sent out to satisfy us with what we want and long for. Don't get me wrong, the Bible delivers very dependable good news. Life with God, freely at the cost of another. But it doesn't bend to our will. It's sent out to accomplish God's. The Bible does not bend to our will. It is sent out to accomplish God's will. And we can avoid this error by continuing to read the Bible and seeing what it's about, thinking about it. You cannot replace the reading of the Word. If you're you're just grabbing onto one of those promises of God, read more and read it often. But we should not ask the Lord to do what our will is. Instead, we should ask the Lord to conform us to His Word, not the Word to us and our desires. But we must not miss this. The Word will accomplish, it, accomplish the purposes of God. The thing for which He sent it out for will happen. It will succeed. Nothing, nothing, nothing can thwart the Word of God. It's going to win. He says, let there be light and no devil, no demon, no government, no sin, no person on earth is going to stop the Word of God from accomplishing His purposes. One author says, in fact, God's Word is the most powerful force in the universe. God creates the universe through His Word. He is going to recreate it through His Word. He is even upholding it right now by the power of His Word, he says. Nothing can get in the way. It is unstoppable and dependable. Do we really believe that, though? Individually, do you, do you believe that? That God's Word is dependable and that all that it purposes, it's going to fulfill. Do we believe that as a church? We're saying that we're, we're saying this is our priority, the Bible, and if we're saying that, then we need to say that we are depending upon the Word, trusting in the Word to fulfill all that it says it will fulfill, to go out and accomplish the purposes of God. We would rely upon it. And that means we would rely on other things. as a church, we we wouldn't rely on on programs to to keep us going. Or personalities, or people, or great stories, or videos, or cool music, and we could go on and on. That we're relying upon the Word of God to do the work of God. And so we prioritize the Bible here because it is dependable in succeeding all of God's purposes, and we want to be about God's purposes. And the way for that to get accomplished is to rely upon and trust in the Word of God. When He says He'll pardon, He'll pardon. When He says He'll forgive, He'll forgive. When He says He'll rescue and save and satisfy, all those things will get done by the means of the Word of God. And so the Word of God is this invitation for us to life with God, and it's completely dependable for all the purposes of God. It always accomplishes its goal. But what is the Word of God's purpose. What is the intent? Why did God send out the Word of God? Verse 12 and 13, Isaiah says this, You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And instead of form shall come up the cypress instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting name that shall not be cut off there are two purposes that are so clear in these last couple verses the first one is transformation when you plant a thorn and you water a thorn thorns come up but here we see a thorn and what's coming up from this thorn a cypress when you plant briars briars come up I've never done any of these things but I'm assuming that it's true to everything else right? you plant a flower a flower comes up trees don't come up out of those things Cypresses don't come up from thorns. There's transformation that's going on here. Thorn bushes do not make cypress trees. They make more thorns. But the word of God rains onto thorns, and instead of thorns coming up, it produces cypresses. This is not a normal process. This is transformation. It's a rolling back of Genesis 3, a rolling back of the curse. Thorns are being getting rid of things. This is a new creation. When the Word of God rains down with the purpose of God to transform, it accomplishes its purpose. It does not return empty. There's a man named Thomas Bilney. He was a, one of the English reformers. He was rigorous in his faith. the religious man, but to no avail. Anybody want to throw their name in the hat there? That you are religious and you keep working and working and working to no avail. You don't feel closer to God. There's no satisfaction, there's no rest, there's no peace. But then he discovered the New Testament. He read the Word of God. it says this, I chanced upon the sentence of St. Paul, oh, most sweet and comfortable sentence to my soul, in 1 Timothy 1, it's a true saying, worthy of all men to be embraced, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief and principal. This is one sentence he says, through God's instruction and inward working, which I did not then perceive, did so exhilarate my heart, being before wounded with guilt of my sins and being almost in despair, that immediately I felt a marvelous comfort and quietness insomuch that my bruised bones leaped for joy. And after this, the Scriptures began to be more pleasant to me than honey or the honeycomb. Thorns producing cypresses. The great saint, Augustine, had this restless heart. You know, he's a child of, of privilege. He was an unsatisfied Man. And he says this I was speaking and weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart. And lo, I heard from a neighboring house a voice, as of a boy or girl I know not, chanting and oft repeating, Take up and read, take up and read. And I arose, interpreting it to be no other than the command of God to open the book and read the first chapter I should find. And I seized, opened, and in silence read that section on which my eyes first fell, which was Romans 13 that said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And he said, no further would I read, nor needed I, for instantly at the end of the sentence, by a light as it were of serenity, infused into my heart, and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. The word of God goes out like rain, and it does not return empty. From thorns we see cypress streets. I couldn't help but think when I read that, the words of of Charles Wesley's hand but long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. And I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed Thee. How many of us could add our story to those where we were like imprisoned people and... God's eye diffused a ray into our hearts, and where there were thorns, there came cypresses. Where there were briars, there came myrtles. Where there was death and the curse, there came life. Maybe some of you cannot add your story to that, and you feel still imprisoned. And I would remind you that the Word of God is an invitation to come to life with God, Repent, turn from your sins and live. Let the Word of God transform your life. The Word of God goes out like rain. It does not return empty, but it transforms thorns. This is the biblical pattern. You look at the book of Acts. I'm going to go through these very quickly. I think you understand the idea. Acts 2.41, it says those who received His Word were baptized, and 3,000 were added. They received the Word, 3,000 lives were changed. In 4, four it says many of those who had heard the Word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. In six seven, the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. In chapter eight four, it says those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. And then you might see the Samaritans start believing, and Philip runs into an Ethiopian, and he believes as well. In chapter 9, Paul hears the word of Christ and is transformed by it. In chapter 10, 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on these Gentiles who heard the word of God. In chapter 13, verse 44, almost the whole city... They gathered to hear the word of the Lord. He goes forward in 48 and 49 and says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life believe. and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the region. In chapter 16, this is with the Philippian jailer. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all of his household. In 34, it says he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. We could do this all day long through the scripture. Ezekiel 37 God takes Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones saying to him, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And here's what happened when this prophet who speaks the word of God to dry bones in this valley says, behold, a rattling and bones coming together. When the word of God goes out, it goes out to transform. And the Word is the means that God uses for that transformation. Not some production, not some dramatic video, not some great music. The Word of God does the work of God. And we want to be a church that is all about the Word of God so we can hear some bones start rattle. Amen. We want death to give way to life. We want briars to break forth as cypresses. We want briars to myrtles thorns to cypresses, we want that curse to be rolled back through the Word of God and the work of God. So that means that we as a church must rely on the Word of God to transform, and that we're not relying on other methods to transform lives or hearts. We're not relying on dramatic productions. We're not going to rely on great videos. Doesn't it seem odd? We live in this place where, where there's constant media. So if you want to grab someone's attention, use video. Maybe even have some remote controls for us all. That would get people engaged. This is not how the work of God gets done. And so we have a, a place where it's, it's unique amongst society. Like, this is weird in culture to have the Word of God proclaimed to the people of God. But that's how God wants it to be. And it's been working. And it's, it's going to work. The results are up to God. His purpose is to transform, so we send the Word of God out and let it fall like rain. But Isaiah gives us another one of his purposes, and hopefully our hearts are already there. Ready to break forth in the other purpose. If you look in verse 12, "...you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands." He says, you're going to go forth in joy and peace. When they knew sorrow, heartache, pain, war, exile, being prisoners. And he says, you're going to go out in joy and peace. And we are not the Israelites, but we know sorrow and pain and lack of peace. We know all the hardships. And so we might say, and be able to say, we want joy and peace. We want to go out in joy and peace. And it happens by the word of God raining down on thorns and bringing forth cypress trees. Transformation brings about this leading forth in great joy and peace. And here's what happens. The creation joins in this. Mountains are dancing. Trees are clapping. Creation joins in singing and worshiping God. This is how Romans 8 says it. The creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And this is the picture that Isaiah is giving. That the people of God are from their bondage, from their corruption, and that the creation is joining in here. Isaiah is speaking a complete reversal of the curse. Where not only people, but creation is subjected to futility, and then now it has been rolled back by the Word of God, raining down and transforming, and now all of creation, along with the people of God, are singing forth the praise of God. See, the greatest purpose for which God sends out His Word is His worship. It's His fame. The transformation of the people of God, the transformation of thorns into cypresses, the transformation of briars into myrtles, the transformation of, of death into life, breaks forth and ought to result in worship. We see in verse 13, and it shall make a name for the Lord, and an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The transformation of the people of God going out in joy and peace is for the fame of God's name. Worship and fame and renown and glory to the name of the Lord is the purpose of the Word of God. And I hope that when we're hearing in the book of Acts about the triumph of the Word of God, or when you're hearing about Thomas Bilney or St. Augustine or your own life, you are breaking forth into worship to the one true living God who changed your thorny heart into something beautiful and living. And the means of transformation, the Word of God. It means, the means of God getting glory and fame is not some person, but it's His Word going forth and doing its work. The purpose for which God sends out His Word like rain is the transformation of people and creation resulting in His worship and fame. And what amazing reality that God's Word does not return empty in that purpose. Amen. We see this in Revelation. The word of God has gone out. And the end of this work is that there are a huge multitude that no one can number gathering around the throne of God, worshiping the name of God. One pastor said this his whole redemptive plan for the universe it hangs on the success of his word. And if the preaching of the word aborts, the purposes of God fail. We just read, it does not return empty. And so he continues that though he makes all his plans for universal fame, hang on the success of his word, his purposes cannot fail. We live in a time, as Jeremiah said, where where falsehood, not truth, grows strong in the land. But Isaiah said that the truth falls flat in the marketplace, and in the public places. Truth stumbles and falls on deaf ears, it would seem. And that's actually how it's been since Eden. But it's not surprising to us, and it certainly isn't defeating. We're not in retreat. We will never be in retreat, because we have the Word of God that goes out to do the work of God. And as Spurgeon once said, said, "Open the door and let the lion out, and he will take care of himself." He was likening the Word of God to a lion. I don't need to defend the lion. You just turn it loose. This word invites sinners to repent. It's an invitation to us. It's completely dependable. It transforms and it does all this for the fame of God's name. So church, this is our book. It's completely dependable and trustworthy. We don't need to look for another. We don't need to trust and rely upon anything else. We have the word of God and it always hits its mark. So let's let it out. Let's turn it loose. In our lives individually. And in our gatherings and in our church. Let's turn it loose. Would you pray with me to that end? Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our church and in this world as it is in heaven. Send out your word through us, your witnesses, your mouthpieces. And God, would you accomplish great purposes for the fame of your name. Amen.